course, when thinking about the sacrifice of Christ, there are many options before us of what we could look at to help focus our attention around that. The events as described in the Gospels, the implications as expounded on in the epistles. But this evening, I decided that we're going to be looking at the Old Testament psalm, Psalm 22. And hopefully, pretty quickly, it will become apparent why. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. Or if you'd like to look it up and follow along in your pew Bibles, it's found starting on page number 539 of your pew Bibles. Psalm 22, I'm going to read the entire psalm. It says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust in you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. 
From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Forsaken. It's a terrible word. You look it up in the dictionary and it's basically defined as being abandoned or deserted. Which means that it wasn't that you just got lost for a little moment. It wasn't that you were looking for something that didn't happen to be there at the time when you needed it. But that there was a walking away from you. A leaving you alone, especially in a time of need. It's when you need a friend and you ask for their help, but instead of giving it, they say no, and they walk away. It's calling 911 in an emergency, and the dispatcher hanging up on you instead of sending help. It's being left to your own devices when you need the help and the support of others. Forsaken. When we do take time to read about Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, and we hear the description of Scripture and how he was hung there, nailed to the cross for several hours in agonizing pain, and while hanging on that cross, we can imagine what was going through his mind. What was he thinking about through those hours that he was simply waiting to die? And we know that at least one of the things that he was thinking about was Scripture. We are told in Matthew 27, 45 through 47, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling for Elijah. Now, having just read our text, you will recognize that indeed Jesus was not calling for Elijah, but he was quoting the opening lines to Psalm 22. And that might just sound like what a religious person like Jesus would do, meditating on Scripture. But the Psalms were the voice of worship for the Jewish people. 
This is how they had approached God, and, and it gave voice to their approaching of him in times of struggle, in times of joy, in times of sorrow, and in times of questioning. And Jesus is just doing what many, many others have done since him, where at times of, of struggle or grief or especially being close to death, we reach for the songs that have encouraged us that have spoken and given voice to our pain or our questions or pointed us toward hope. And here Jesus quotes from Psalm 22 for obvious reasons. In fact, Psalm 22 fits Jesus' situation so very well that there are some people who have suggested that it was written after the, the crucifixion of Jesus, which we know is not true and have evidence for that. Or that it was an entirely prophetic psalm. That as we hear this psalm being spoken, that the only voice we should be hearing is Jesus on the cross, ignoring all other. But that kind of thinking doesn't fit with our understanding of how Scripture works and how it's to be interpreted. Instead, in order to understand this psalm, we have to first be looking at, well, where does it come from? And why was it written originally? And then we see how it pointed to and was fulfilled by Christ, which allows us to then understand what it means and is saying for us today. And Psalm 22, I think, especially is a psalm that speaks throughout the ages. It becomes immediately obvious that this psalm was written during a time where the author felt particularly vulnerable. His very life is at risk. He fears because of his enemies and because of his physical situation. Verses 12 through 18 especially focus on the particular struggles of being surrounded by enemies, mocked, abused, and physically tormented. And if the author of the psalm is David, as the, uh, sub, uh, the superscript above it suggests, we can think of many times in the life of David where a psalm like this could have arisen. Could have been when he was being pursued by the king Saul, thinking that David was there to take his throne and he was trying to kill him before he had the opportunity. Could have been later on in his life when David's son Absalom raised up and, and caused a rebellion against him and caused David and his whole family to flee from the city of Jerusalem. Or many other times when David's life was at risk would allow him and give voice to a situation as described in this psalm. He's afraid, he's hurting, and he's looking and there's no friends and there is no support and yet... That's not the main issue of concern for this psalm. The main struggle of this lament is the fact that in this suffering, the author, the author feels abandoned by God. It's clear from the opening questions of verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? It becomes clear in the repeated prayers, first of verse 11 and then verse 19, that frame, that section of, of what he is going through. When it says first in verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is no help to me. And then in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Now, don't miss that this is a psalm of faith. 
during this hard time, the psalmist is doing what he's always done. He's turning to the Lord for help. He's doing the right thing. And in verses 3 through 5, he rehearses how God has been present and answered the prayers of his people in the past. And in verses 9 through 11, he talks about his own relationship with the Lord, present since the time he was born. And yet, at this particular moment, he feels abandoned. It feels like he's praying to no one, talking to the ceiling. That his cries for help are being completely ignored. He feels forsaken by God. God had made the covenant promise to his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. But in this moment, David is asking, if that is true, where are you, God? And that's a hard place to be. If God is supposed to be our only rescue, our, our sure hope during times of trouble, and you go to him in prayer and you feel nothing, where else do you go? What other hope do we have? But then something clearly changes in this psalm, right at the end of verse 21 and into verse 22. At verse 21, the prayers of David finally get answered. And he says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then from verse 22 to the end, the whole psalm turns into a psalm of praise. Having had his prayers finally answered, David is going to celebrate. He's going to tell others about what God has done for him. And he's going to record those things for future generations to join in with him in the praises of God. David's prayer, made in a time when he felt completely alone and forsaken, was answered. God hadn't forsaken him, but he listened and answered, and for this, he will be praised. But having seen that for David, we have to ask if the same thing was true for Jesus, if he just felt forsaken. As mentioned already, the circumstances that are, are, are so exact that some think this psalm is, is only prophetic, and indeed, we can see how prophetic this psalm really is. Even though the psalm existed for centuries before Jesus was ever even born, so much of it gets precisely fulfilled by him on the cross. Most notably, we have the insults of those that are around him, surrounding him. In verse 8, where it says, let God rescue him if he delights in him. Which is almost verbatim what people said about Jesus. As quoted in Matthew 27, 42, it says, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. Jesus' tongue was swollen. His heart was melting. His hands and his feet were pierced and his clothes were divided by the casting of lots. And yet was probably for that main issue that Jesus quotes from this psalm, the feeling of being forsaken by God. 
When John, talks, John Stott talks about Jesus quoting from this psalm in his book, The Cross of Christ, he suggests that there are a couple of reasons why people think he may have been quoting them. Maybe Jesus was going through a time of doubt and struggle, wondering if God had abandoned him in the plan of salvation, and that is why he quoted it. Maybe Jesus was giving voice to a perceived loneliness like the psalmist. Or maybe he was quoting the beginning of the psalm just to draw attention to the end of the psalm. And this really was an expression of his praise and anticipation for what would take place in the future. But Stott dismisses all of these ideas and said that we need to see in Jesus' quote of the opening line of Psalm 22 as a true and literal expression of what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. In some mysterious way that I don't think anyone will ever be able to fully understand or fully explain. While Jesus Christ, God's eternal, only begotten Son, hung on the cross, God the Father did forsake him. For the first time in his life, Jesus was distanced from his Father. His prayers were going unanswered. He was being ignored. And unlike the psalmist, Jesus was forsaken. There was no transition in verse 21 for Christ as he hung there. There was no rescue. There was no salvation for Jesus. And shortly after the cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out in a loud voice once more, breathed his last, and died. His body hung lifeless. His lungs stopped taking in oxygen. His brain stopped functioning. His heart stopped beating. The blood stopped pumping through his veins and he was dead. Sometimes worry that as people who know the rest of the story, we can gloss over that reality a little too quickly. And we can pass by the fact that Jesus gave absolutely everything. And when his life was at an end, with him died the hopes of many of his disciples the plans and the surety of many of the people of Israel, they were confident that this was the end and there was to be no more. What else should they expect? But the incredible thing is that we do get to the praise. Even though Jesus died on the cross, the second half of Psalm 22 also gets fulfilled in a way that David would have never thought imaginable. Yes, Jesus was forsaken all the way to death. But on the third day, God did do an incredible thing. God did a thing that all the ends of the earth are hearing about and families from all nations are praising him for. Even though God hid his face from his son, Christ demonstrated his power over sin and all of its effects, even death, by rising again. And he did this in order to rescue all from the power of sin that had enslaved them, and that includes us. 
You see, we too are in Psalm 22, and as it speaks through the ages, we can hear our own voice in it as well. I'm quite confident that probably every one of you here this evening is exactly like me, where you have had moments in your life where you felt forsaken by God, where you felt like you needed him, where you felt lost for direction and were pleading for just some insight, where there was your life or someone else who was ebbing away and you begged for answers and it felt like your prayers were going nowhere, where they were hitting the ceiling and just going out into a void of nothingness. And yet, the great part of the story and what makes this Friday good is the fact that because of what Jesus went through, we never have to fear that God will forever abandon us. In fact, that is what Good Friday is all about. It is about the fact that we have ruined things for ourselves, that we are the ones that forsook God, ignored him, turned our back on his will and his way, and walked in the other direction from what he wanted from us. But instead of, in response, forsaking us and ignoring us and giving us what we deserve, which is eternal separation from him, in love, he pursued us. He sent his son to die on the cross for us, and he stood in our place. He took our sin onto himself, and, his, and the death that he died, God accepted as a sacrifice for the sins that we have committed. And that's the only thing that has made it possible for us to again stand before him, to be loved by him, to hope for our prayers to ever be answered, and to look forward to that day when we will be in his holy presence forever. In a little bit, we're going to read from the communion form in our Psalter hymnal, and it reminds us, it says exactly this, that he was bound so that we could be loosed. He was cursed so we could be blessed. He died to give us life. He was forsaken so that we never would be. Forsaken is an awful word. But we have exchanged that word in Jesus Christ for words like comfort and belong. That because of what Jesus Christ did, I know that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who will never, therefore, abandon me, and that all things must work together for good and for my salvation, who loves me enough that he knows the very number of hairs on my head. That's what Jesus did for us when he hung on that cross. He was forsaken so that we could be comforted and belong to God forever. That is the hope that is given to all who look to Jesus in faith. And in light of that, we do celebrate. That is good news that must be passed down from generation to generation, be shared in the community of this church and outside of these walls as we tell others of the hope that they too can have and invite them into praise with us. Psalm 22 truly speaks through the ages. It expresses emotions that most anyone can relate to at some point in their life, and yet 
Because of the way that it was fulfilled in Christ, we can rejoice over the hope and promise that we continue to see being fulfilled in our lives and will continue to be filled in future generations yet unborn because he, the Lord, has done it. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, again, we approach you as those that are confessing what we know we deserved from your hand because of our sin. And yet we also approach you as those who praise you for the God who took those deserved punishments on himself. That where we should have died, been abandoned and forsaken, he was. Lord, thank you for standing in our place for restoring, reclaiming us. And since you have done that, we pray that now we would live for you. Lord, thank you for your gift. Receive our praise and response. In Jesus we pray, amen.